Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. Happy love week. I'm going to send you big hugs and kisses because I love you guys. Peace, love, and joy. I'm sending that to you everywhere. Plus, I hope you have a lot of fun this week. Do something that really makes you laugh and have a good time. So I was thinking, who did I want to bring on for Love Week? And one of the people that came in mind was a guest of mine, Christine, who was already on my live show. And I loved her and her journey that I said, you got to come back on. You have to talk to my Let's Keep It Real people. I'm not going to tell you any more about her journey. You'll have to listen, but it's a unique one, and I know it's going to inspire you. But I will tell you one of her little tips that stuck with me. If no one understands your dream, that's cool. It means it was meant only for you. Woohoo! I love that, right? All right, guys. Well, let's get to it. And again, thank you so much for referring me to the most awesome clients and speaking engagements and really supporting me with my books and journals. It means a lot to me. And again, if you know any male or female around the world who's making a positive, powerful impact, send them my way. I'd love to highlight their journey. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Hoochie Mama, I'm so excited. My next guest, Christine Herbert, was one of my live guests. That's right. She was on Hey, I Got Something to Say, which is supposed to be for women around the world. But let's face it, men listen and get inspired. And I loved her story. So I said, yo, can I have you back on to tell a little bit more? And she said, sure. But before I bring her on, let me tell you a little bit about Christine. Christine, I love this, is a part-time writer, part-time body worker, and full-time space cadet, currently living in the Pacific Northwest. A dyed-in-the-wool introvert, which she had to explain to me, she occasionally surprises everyone, especially herself, by chucking it all and living an adventurous life of service. Listen to this. She chucks it all, an introvert, you get it, to live a, this is, I'm going to say it again because when she told me, I'm like, wait a minute, you can't be an introvert and living an adventurous life of service overseas. Once as a U.S. Peace Corps volunteer in Zambia and later as a manager of a nonprofit organization in Nepal. All right. So you got that? She surprises everyone and herself as an introvert. Talk about leap of faith. When not adventuring off to distant lands, she can be found in her easy chair, surrounded by storybooks and wheels of cheese. 
Oh my God, Christine, I love that <laughs> intro. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Ah, I'm excited because I want to dive into more about being in Peace Corps. But before we do that, if you were going to describe your past month in one word, what word would you pick and why? Ah, it's sort of um, not one word, but I'm going to say it's the title of a movie. <laughs> oh, well, this is different, people. Go it's ahead. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> oh, now I'm intrigued. Yeah, because, you know, we've just come out of the holidays, and we had an incredible ice storm here in the Pacific Northwest that ranged from, you know, Portland all the way up to, like, Vancouver, B.C., and my flight to home to New Jersey, or excuse me, to California to visit some family in California was canceled. And ah. my family would not accept defeat. And so they got in their four-wheel drive and came up on a rescue mission. And then I drove back down to California with them. And yeah, it was an adventure. So there was a lot of uh, unplanned travel, but we were all together by the holidays, by some miracle. Okay. I love that they would not accept defeat and they came and got you. Okay. Tell them specifically <laughs> where you are, Christy. So I live in Kirkland, Washington, and I can kind of see Seattle from my house. If anyone's ever been to Seattle, they know it's yeah, yeah. You know, on a lake there at Lake Washington, and I'm on the other side of the lake. Okay. And what, where does your family live in California? They're in the Bay Area. So they're near San Francisco. Okay. And so who came in? I got to know this. Who came yeah. to get you? <laughs> it was my uncle and my cousin. And they just, they're like, let's do it. Let's get in the car. Road trip. Road trip, bro. And so now, they just came up. was this for New Year or Christmas? <laughs> this was before Christmas. It was right before Christmas. And I was in California through New Year's and came back on uh, the 3rd of January. Yeah. So it was a lot I, of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go family. All right, but you did say New Jersey. Am oh, yes. I, do, am I remembering that you grew up in Jersey or yes. am I just making that up? Yes, I'm originally from New Jersey. That's correct. And most of my family is still back there. Oh. Now, did they come to California? No, they were in New Jersey for the holidays. Yeah. So I all I will often do either a West Coast or an East Coast holiday. Oh. I like the West Coast one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Better <okay>. weather. <laughs> well, I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia, so Jersey yeah. I'm familiar with. <laughs> okay, Christine, we're going to change it up this time. I really want to dive into the book. Sure. Because, come on. I mean, <laughs> the color of the elephant to me is like, wait a minute. Why... And how does that have to do with being in the Peace Corps? So can you just tell us a little bit more of how you came up with your title and oh, yeah. why? Yeah, sure. So I served in the Peace Corps in Zambia. So, you know, for this girl, uh, you know, grew up in America, white girl, to then land in the middle of Africa and... <laughs> Yes, I have so many you questions. Know, yeah, living There's in a so mud many. hut, no, ele no electricity, no running water for a couple of years. Yeah, it was a big deal, right? It was a big change. And I was thinking, oh, boy, you know, in the States, a lot of times um, race becomes sort of a, a an elephant in the room. 
and uh, oh. we get shy about bringing it up or you know pointing out people's differences. And I went to a place where I was completely different, and I was no longer in the majority, but I was in the minority. And I thought, wow, will people kind of dance around the fact that I'm different and the fact that I'm white, and maybe they won't want to bring it up? And um, and it totally was not like that. People brought it up every day. Uh, they loved pointing out the differences and just kind of you know wanting to bring it up as conversation and just almost mm. celebrate the fact that we were very different and uh, always with curiosity and openness. And um, I always got it pointed out to me every day, you know, that I was the white person in the room. And, you know, it was just interesting how people approached it differently. And I thought, well, maybe race isn't always the elephant in the room. Maybe it depends on the color of the elephant. And, and <laughs> to take it a step snap. further, it was really like even the culture, you know, is because the culture was so different there. Yeah. So did you feel welcomed? Absolutely. In fact, I felt celebrated the whole time I was there. Um, mm. People would – one thing about the culture which is interesting is like um, – there are very few chairs where I lived. You know, there would be very small stools. It'd be hand carved, or maybe it would just be a brick or a stool or something. And and the, it, typically the men get the stools and the women get the ground. If there was ever a um, extra chair, I would get the chair. You know, uh. as the mzungu, as the white person. And so, like, I was always kind of celebrated. I had some status, you know, which was interesting. Um, so I would often be given like a seating with status. Yeah, it was, mm. it was okay. different. So say that again. Did you say, is it pronounced Mazugu? Mazungu, yeah. Mazungu. Yeah, that just kind of it literally means like English speaker, um, but it's a very generic term for a white person. And it's almost mm. exactly the same in Swahili, which is um, spoken in a lot of countries. Um, so it's very prevalent through Africa to just hear the term Mzungu. So where you were, were there other like people from Jersey <laughs> that went with you? Did you know anybody <laughs> else? Did you meet people before? Like, I have no idea how it works. Please tell us. Yeah. So we met uh, our group right before we went abroad. We had just a couple days together, um, and we were actually in Philadelphia, and we flew out oh. from there. Um, and, you know, mostly they were young people, just fresh out of college. Um, that's when mm -hmm. most people join the Peace Corps. They have the space in their lives for that, and yeah. they're, they're feeling adventurous. Um, but you don't have to be just out of college. You can be pretty much any age, uh, adult age, I should say, to join and serve. And we could talk about that later if you like. Um, yes. But yeah, I was I was a little bit older as a volunteer. I was in my 30s at the time. And uh, everybody else was in their 20s, um, except okay. for there was one fellow in his 60s, and he said, I'm doing this as my retirement, and I'll serve as long as they let me. <laughs> and I thought that was so inspiring. Uh, yeah. So inspiring. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. we, we met right before we went. Yeah. And how many? How many were there? There was about, in my group, I'd say about 25 of us. Yeah. And we were spread so is that all how it throughout. Works that is that how it works when like there's I call it a unit or your team? Do is it do they go every so often and there has to be a minimum of so many people? 
I think it depends on the country and what okay. their needs are and how many programs they have. Um, out of all those people that I was with, we were in two different programs. Um, some of us were doing health education, which was mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was an uh, just an education, and they were doing like a sort of radio tell uh radio communications i guess like oh. a, it was like a radio school program um mm-hmm. and so they would go into these remote villages and set up the radios and have kids go and learn uh lessons usually in their local language i think by radio so it was kind of an interesting program that they had set up there okay so we're going to dive right into it if you don't mind us some questions that my mm-hmm. peeps had for you and you did mention it and i i just want to hit it at the top they wanted to know what you just answered, what's the criteria? Is there a certain test you have to pass? Do you have to have a certain background? You just answered the age thing. Right. (laughs) So you have to have some amount of skill in whatever area it is that you wish to serve. Um, And there are lots of different projects in the Peace Corps. There's agriculture, environment, education, youth development, Mm -hmm. community economic development, health those are some of the big ones. Um, so I had a background in health. Uh, I was a massage therapist and, you know, I had a degree in biology and that kind of qualified me to serve in the health department. Uh, but generally, they will teach you your job skills there. Uh-huh. Um, and generally, you will want to have a, a college degree. It helps if it's in the field that you're okay. going to serve in or you just have life experience um, that qualifies you for that assignment. Okay. So how many countries, maybe you don't know, they want to know how many countries is the Peace Corps in? Oh, gosh. I That's a good question. There are many. Um, I want to say, I, I, I don't want to pick a number out of the air, but it's quite a bit. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I want to say like, I wanted to say 72, and then I wanted to back it down to 48. And then I realized I didn't know what I was talking about. So I'm going <laughs> to shut my mouth. <laughs> but I there, love that. But there are in a lot of countries. <laughs> so obviously, they could look it up. You know, I'm sure it's on their website. Yeah, absolutely. You, can you choose and say, listen, I would prefer to go to this country? Do you get the country you want to go to? Not the country. Um, You get to, when you apply, you get to state a preference for an area of the world that you would like to serve if you have a preference. Um, So you could say, I want to go to South America, you know, maybe because you speak Spanish or want to learn. Um, I want to go to, uh, you know, Southeast Asia. You know, I want to go to an Eastern European country. Um, and I said, I want to go to Africa. Like, I don't care where, just anywhere. Um, and, I got gotcha. And I was lucky to get my assignment in Zambia. I was really thrilled to get it. Yeah. Um, and I got my wish. But sometimes you you might get an assignment depending on what they need and your qualifications. They might say, I know you wanted to go to Africa. We've got this really great assignment for you in the Caribbean. Uh, mm. Will you take it? And, you know, I would have said yes. I would have gone anywhere, but I was thrilled to get my choice of Africa because I'd always wanted to go there. And I didn't know why, you know, I didn't have a yeah, reason. Yeah. I didn't have a rationale, but I always felt like I wanted to go there and not just go there, but live there. Yeah. I wonder why a Jersey girl wanted that. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? I mean, who knows where these inspirations come to? Yeah. But, uh, and sometimes you don't even share them. I mean, everybody's got these secret desires and 
secret goals that maybe they don't even say out loud to their family yeah. and friends? Because yeah. my family and friends were certainly shocked, you know, when I said, I want to go to the Peace Corps. I want to join the Peace Corps. I want to go to Africa. I've always wanted to go. And they said, since when? You know? <laughs> Hello. <But> I, <laughs> I hadn't really shared that, you know, that I always yeah. wanted to go to Africa and live in Africa. Um, but yeah, when the opportunity came up, I thought, this is it. This feels right. This is the time. Yeah. Yeah. So is it more difficult, they want to know, since COVID for people, not difficult, are less people you think signing up to do this? Is this more trying and challenging to get out there in other countries? You know what? Um, everybody who was serving all around the world, they were uh, their service was terminated during COVID and everyone was sent home because of the ah. pandemic. Um, just this last year, people have started going back out again. So it's okay. opening yeah. back up. Uh, it's happening again. But I suspect it's easier at this point to get an assignment. And it is difficult. Mm. You asked if there's a test that you have to go through. There's, It's a lot of <laughs> – yeah, it's difficult to get in. Let me just say it's challenging to get in. Um. But really? I feel like, yeah, absolutely. It's not like you can just sign up and go. Um, it is very challenging. There's lots of interviews. There's lots of, especially health examinations. You have to be yeah, very yeah. healthy to go. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's so much paperwork involved. If you're not, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. serious about going, you'll give up. Because like any any government job, right, there's so much paperwork. You just feel like, oh, boy, I'll never see the end of it. So how long was the process for you? Um, you know, it took me the better part of a year from the time I decided to apply to the time yeah. that I got my assignment and I, I was accepted and I joined. Um, wow. Yeah. So sometimes you have to, yeah, keep, keep, they ask for more information and more information and more forms and more essays. And yeah, yeah. They want, they want to really make sure that you're serious about going because yeah. they invest so much and, and the communities are so invested in your involvement. Yeah, they don't want somebody to go, show up, spend two weeks, say this is hard, and go home. Is what a yeah. disappointment for that community. So they oh, really yeah. want to gauge your dedication to serving. Mm. I, I get. I should know this, but I don't. Is it volunteer or do you get paid? It is volunteer. You are a volunteer. They do pay you a stipend when you're there to cover your expenses. And of course, they cover all so your you can medical expenses. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. so that you can eat, right? Um, uh, so they they kind of cover all your flights, your medical expenses, all that. They take care of everything yes. for you, um, yeah. but they do give you a stipend, so you have something to live off of during the years that you're there. And then they oh, give good. you a little something when you come back, which is like a readjustment allowance, and gotcha. uh, that'll help you get back on your feet when you get home. But it certainly doesn't compare to what you would have made in. Two yeah, plus years yeah. of working yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. So, yeah, you were there from 2004 to 2006. Mm -hmm. There's You don't get to visit. You don't get to come home for Christmas. You're just there for two years. Well, here's the thing. You can. You can use your vacation time to come home. I chose not to because it was going to be too hard for me. It was just going to be too crazy because – you know, you're living in such a different environment, um, you know, where people are, you know, hungry and living in mud huts and, you know, some people yeah. are starving, people are dying yeah. of AIDS, you know, at, 
people are really dying around you, at least where I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to, to go home for Christmas where there's, you know, all the feasts and the plenty and the lights and the weather, you know, I, I would have just my head would have exploded. <laughs> yeah. Somebody would have finished something on their plate and you would have been, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. took me a long time to readjust to that. Just our plenty and our, how we waste everything. Mm. And, um, it mm. would have been too hard for me, honestly, um, to come home mid service. And it took me a long time to get readjusted when I came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So maybe you don't know the answer to this, but what was the jolt? Like, okay, I want to go into the Peace Corps. Like you said, your pa- your family was shocked. But yeah. even as a little kid, did you think that? Or, you know, was it after college? So um, the jolt, I guess, was when I was, I turned 30 and I was like, wow, this is a milestone. And what are the things I always said I was going to do someday before I run out of someday? You know, Uh because I was still, you know, single and just renting and I, you know, didn't have any pets or a boyfriend or whatever. And I was like, I could just pack this life up, put it in storage, go out and do something adventurous and come back to it. This is always here. You know, I can come back to this. I wasn't unhappy with my life and where I was. But I thought this is the time. And it felt Mm. like a moment to seize because I feel like when we hit these milestones in our life, it's a it's time to take stock of the things that we've done in our lives and maybe the things that we want to achieve. And that was the push for me. Absolutely. Mm. But I'd always wanted to go, you know, when I was growing up, um, there were always these PSAs on television of Peace Corps, and they showed these people doing these very adventurous things overseas and in these exotic locales. And at the, the tagline at the end of the PSA was, Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love. Which I love, and they, I don't know why yes. they don't do this anymore, but I always thought of that as a kid and being like, wow, would I want to do that? You know, would I want to do yeah. something that's tough? Is that desirable? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it always captured my imagination. So even as a young kid, I thought, oh, I, I wonder if I could do that one day, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, here you are, you know, having a wonderful life, and then you go there. And you're hit with no electricity, like you said, running water or Wi-Fi. But you still <laughs> felt like it was a privilege to be there. Was oh, there yeah. some kind of adjustment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and interestingly enough, the adjustment there to going without all of those modern conveniences felt easier somehow than coming back and getting all that back because it felt so overwhelming, you know, it felt overwhelming mm, that you would especially have this like cell phone that people could like reach you at any time doing whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be reached right now. And I, I was so used to being so far out in the bush where, you know, you know, mail would take, you know, six weeks or more to get to me. And, you know, I was kind of a free agent and to like be plugged back in so tightly into society, it it felt strange. I felt like my autonomy was getting ripped away. So uh, it was really interesting. I could see that. I could see that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was incredibly freeing. And it really allowed you to be in the moment and to be really connected mm-hmm. with everything that you were doing uh, as far as your daily activities, you know, you if you wanted water to do anything, you know, washing up or drinking or whatever, you had to go to the well and draw water from the well and you had to sterilize the water or boil the water, or, you know, filter it and do all that. Like it was a whole process, right? Mm. You want to you want to take some sort of bath, you have to heat up the water, you have to you have to make a fire and heat the water and it, every everything takes hours. And so you're completely engaged in the business of living. It takes all of your energy just to focus on, okay, getting food, I'm getting water, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. transporting myself to the job or whatever it is that you're doing. It like takes all of your energy and all of your awareness. And you are very aware of everything that's going on because it takes planning and it takes time and sometimes it takes other people to help you, mm. especially if there's transportation involved. And so um, you're connected in your community as you do your everyday tasks, whereas in America, like you're on autopilot a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, you know, you drive yeah. home and it's like, wow, I don't even remember the drive, but here I am. I'm at home. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you're not even connected to what it is you're doing when you're doing it. Okay. This is going to have to be another podcast because that, like, I got a million questions for you running through my head besides the ones I have down here. But let's start with, okay. I get that. Cool, cool. I can see that. You're like, wait a minute. You know, everyone knows everything and everything is here. That would be freaking me out from the extreme opposite. So you come back. What are some of the biggest changes or did you make any big changes to your life after experiencing that? Yeah, you know, I think I'm still teasing that out. You know, I'm still kind of unraveling that because it took me a long time to get integrated back into my American lifestyle, um, just my my regular ways of being. For a while, mm-hmm. I really um, – it, it just put my hackles up, you know, to do anything. <laughs> it was really challenge for me um, to do even things like go to the grocery store, just felt overwhelming, you know, just too many choices, you know, and I, I think just anything felt strange and foreign, even though it should have been familiar. Um, mm-hmm. you know, driving my car just felt like too much, um, you know, and it was okay, but it was just even the idea of getting in a car just felt like too much. It took me a long time to get adjusted, um, to American life again. So yeah, it's hard to say like the changes that I've made. I've certainly uh I have a lot less than a lot of people have and I do that by choice. Yeah, um yeah. I don't for example have a, a television. You know, I got rid of that when I got back to the states. I'm like, "Uh, I just can't have this noise and this something yeah. talking at me all the time and like commercials. Like I hate commercials. Like I don't want people trying to sell me stuff in my own home <laughs> in my in my off time. Like I I can't stand to hear it." Yeah. So I got rid of my television. I haven't had TV in like 15 years or more. And uh, people just like, what? (laughs) How do you live? What do you do for entertainment? How do you live? Um, You know, people are amazed when I say like, oh, I read like a book every day. They're like, how do you read a book every day? That's impossible. And I say, well, Mm. when you don't have a television, it's pretty easy, actually. Yeah. Do you have more downtime, like with your cell phone, that you're not always available, that you turn it off and only communicate through certain times? You know, um, anyone who knows me knows that I never pick up my phone. <laughs> ah, 
Oh, well, there you I go. Have it, I have it on silent. And part of that is like my job, you know, because I'm back to doing massage therapy. I can't have a ringing phone. So I'd have it off. I have the ringer mm. off. If you want me, leave a message. I'll call you back, you know. Uh, but yeah. you pretty much will it'll be a miracle if I pick up, if I just happen to see that it's somebody's calling yeah. and I'm in front of it, I'll be like, oh, I'll pick it up. But I, it's on silent. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I'm thinking what a perfect thing for you to be doing body work because it is silent. Yeah. There is no distractions. You can't, you're right. You can't have a TV on. I mean, you might have background music, but right. it's just you and the person there and you, hopefully are fully present, you know, yes. not thinking about what you're having for dinner tonight. Right. And that's what I love about the job. I mean, there's a lot of things I love about it. Um, but I love that you're very present in the moment yeah. with that person. And there are no distractions. The phone isn't ringing. You're not like, oh, hold on. There's no emails yeah. coming through saying, oh, geez, I got to handle this or that or, you know, any other job that I've done, like desk jobs or whatever. It's like you're, con you have constant interruptions, you know, people coming up to your desk, the phone's ringing, whatever. And you're, you you just have to deal with constant interruptions. When you're doing body work, it's like, nope, we're doing this for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or however long, and yeah. there's no interruptions, and the lights are low, and the music's relaxing, and the doors are closed, and you're just doing that work with that person. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. For you, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> like, some other people be like, oh, my God. What? <laughs> no. Uh, I think that would be really awesome. Okay. Well. We better dive into it because I can see it wrap, you know, me going, okay, time to wrap up. And I got no stories and I want <laughs> just a couple stories that stand out, good, bad, or ugly. Let's talk oh, about yeah. just a couple stories that are in the book that you would love to share with us, whatever they are. Yeah. And of course, it's like the embarrassing ones that people always want to know about. Like when I go yeah, talk to course, book clubs yes. or whatever, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this one thing. I laughed so hard. Um, so we like that. It makes us, you know, feel <laughs> like you're part of us. You know, it's okay to be wackadoo. Oh my gosh. So this is my probably craziest moment. So there were these cows that kept coming into our yard at night, like the owners wouldn't um, tie them up at night. Um, and I don't know if they didn't give them enough fodder or whatever, but they would uh, like pillage the village and come in, they'd eat our crops and, you know, break everything. And then, you know, we would complain to the owners, oh, your cows were here. And they would just say, oh, they're not our cows. They're not our cows. Like they just played it off and we were getting tired of it. I wake up like two, three in the morning one night and they're there again. I hear them in my garden and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing because it's the middle of the night. But I'd been painting the inside of my house and it was like blue and green and purple paint, yeah. I think. And I come out yeah. and so I painted up the cows, like I graffitied up their cows because <laughs> I was just so angry. And I'm like, you know, take that. You were you know? so angry. You come yeah, like, yeah, I like yeah, defaced somebody's cows. Way to go. And uh, I sent them home to their owner and, and they, you know, come back ranting and raving in the morning. And, and then, you know, I call him out. I'm like, so you admit these are your cows that got painted. He's like, of course, you know, and I'm like, and they got painted here. He's like, yes, just look at this place, you know, and I call it. Like, it's 
Jackson Pollock's <laughs> African villa by that time. I mean, there are paint splatters everywhere around my house. Like, there's no mistaking, you know, where the scene of the crime was, right? And, uh, did you take pictures? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, although maybe I should have, because people ask about this a lot. They're like, I can't believe you did that. And, um, that's and, funny. And, and yeah, so I said, so you admit that your cows were in our yard then. <laughs> and then he was like, get a catch 22, right? Like he couldn't say those weren't his cows. And so he's oh like, my God. okay. And I was like, you tie them up. I said, if you, <laughs> if I see your cows in my yard again, I'll paint them again. Oh like, my. And he's like, All right, okay. So wait a minute. <laughs> so how was the relationship after that? And how are the cows? <laughs> oh, they were fine. Yeah. The yeah. paint was very, it's like water soluble. It was not, no yeah. big deal. And we, we were in for a big rain that day. So they totally, you know, got washed in the rain oh, that bugger. day. So it was no big yeah. deal. Uh, but it was, yeah, to, the, to him, it was this enormous insult. But he was just, because he was caught in his lie or he couldn't yeah. backtrack yeah. and say, oh, my cows weren't eating your crops. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> you know? they were because we were the ones my that had, yeah. Right. We were the ones that had the most damage or lasting damage, you know, because oh, our crops goodness. were gone and like my chicken house was, you know, stomped on and like all this stuff. <laughs> like we had damage, right? And his cows like yeah. got clean in the rain. So no big deal. But the damage was to his pride. Uh, yeah. But actually, we I didn't know him very well, so we never really saw them much anymore. Because after that, he tied up his cows, and everyone was happy, and nobody had their crops eaten. So I think <laughs> in yeah. the long run, it turned out good. But at the moment, it was bad. Like it was definite uh, drama in the village, Ooh, and uh, yeah, causing drama. I know, and uh, it's just, what a crazy thing. It's just so funny. But people, they love that story. They think it's hilarious, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. That was, that was I know. Really I want to see the cows now, though. Of yeah. course. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it was so much harder than I thought. I'm like, I'll paint them head to toe. Yeah, no, that's not happening. Like, I just couldn't. <laughs> Painting oh cows God. is harder than you might think. So, well, just... that's a good lesson. I'm surprised you didn't move to a farm when you got back here, you know? Right? Yeah. I had a lot of rural living. Yeah. Yeah. So, Okay. <laughs> you, you know, you caused some trouble there, little mischief Maybe. maker. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. But I bet that you were well loved there. Like, is there oh, any yeah. stories you can tell us that involve more of the people there than just the Moo Moo owner? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, you know, it was just all my friends were incredible. Um, they supported me in every way. Uh, one time comes to mind where we had this wildfire that was raging towards village. And mm. I thought, oh, God, everything's going to come up in smoke. And not all the grass around my house had been slashed yet because um, they just used like, yeah. a, like a scythe, you know, like they just called mm -hmm. slashing because um, we don't have lawnmowers, right? And I thought, oh, it's going to catch fire to the grass. I'm going to lose everything. My mud hut's going to go up in flames. And it's it's at night. The sun has just set. And I turn from the fire and I, I like feel a presence behind me. I turn and look and like all of my neighbors are standing behind me and waiting to help me save my my hut and the things in my ah. hut and to put out the flames. Like they they left their homes that were also in danger to stand by me. Oh and make sure I didn't lose everything. Wow. And that's oh. still like just 
melts my heart every time I think about it. Um, mm-hmm. that they just came to stand by me, literally. And they were like, you know, we're here. We're going to save you. We're going to help you. Um, and that was incredible. And then when, when the danger passed and then the flames, you know, kind of raced yeah. by and it didn't get my place, they sent their kids over to be with me to help me put out any of the embers that were still in the grass to, to like roll on the mm. embers and whatever, and keep me company while they were out helping other people. Mm. Um, so it's like that whole community supported me. It was amazing. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. That's, that really is beautiful. So it must've been gut-wrenching to leave then too. I mean, was it like, I mean, I, were you crying? I mean, you, you, after two years or two and a half years, you, you make bonds. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it was funny because I was told that the volunteer who had lived there before me, because I had taken over for somebody else, um, that she like cried really hard when she left the village and they were like, oh, that one, she cried too much. Like that was a mess yeah. when she left. Like it made everybody uncomfortable kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to keep it together. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> and, I don't uh, like everybody feeling comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Like if there's one thing I could do, I just want to try to keep it together. And and I did. I don't know how, but, you know, it wasn't until I left the village that I was like, all right, I'm going to fall apart now. Um, but mm-hmm. I kept it together as much as I could. And it was I was somber, but I wasn't like crying yeah. buckets. Um, but the yeah. one funny thing that happened right before, I, as I was leaving, I thought, okay, I'm just going to use the loo one last time before I get in the car and go on this, you know, long trip back to the capital. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to go to the, the loo and there's um, – a snake in front of the loo and I'm like oh great just you know one last snake to kill so I like go back and I grab a stick and I go <laughs> go oh, back God. and the snake had started kind of creeping its head around the back of the loo and I saw so I like whacked it a few times with the stick until it was dead and then I carry it out with a stick and I'm just throwing it in my rubbish pit so I could go in and use the bathroom and my neighbor looks at me and she looks at the snake and she goes but Christine that's a spitting cobra very dangerous like, ah! <laughs> I was like Jeez, oh, and you didn't recognize like, it. You were just no. like, "I'm just like, ah, it's one more snake." Like I killed so many snakes by then. I'm like, "What's one more?" You know, I'm like, "Ah, it's yeah. one more snake oh, in front my. of the potty." When I'm trying to go, this is so typical. I'll be glad to leave here, you know, kind of thing. And and I'm like, "Oh, well, glad that didn't spit in my eyes and blind me." Fantastic. <laughs> so I just you know chucked it aside, and I thought, "Oh, that's one one last good deed I can do for the village on my way out." Oh, so my that was my God. my last thing I did before I I left. <laughs> I love the fact that it's like, oh, another snake. Let me get a stick and kill it. Just another day in the neighborhood. It really was. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sitting here looking at your tips, and they so fit in after listening to your journey, which is when a venture calls, be all in, which you were. Mm -hmm. If no one understands your dream, that's cool. It means it wasn't... It was meant only for you. I love that. Wait, I got to say that again. If no one understands your dream, cool. It means it was only meant for you. I'm going to I'm going to take that one. And I love that you can do hard things. In fact, hard things may be the only things truly worth doing in life. Absolutely. Ah. So, yeah. to wrap it up, Christine, and you and I were talking about it at the beginning. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be the Peace Corps, but there are things 
that you want to do that like are aching and when you feel it I love the fact that you said if not now when like I don't want to be someday I want to blah 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 when the kids are grown maybe some things you do when the kids are grown but you don't want to just keep putting it off and then you never get around to doing it and I I do agree some of the most rewarding things I've done at the time were really scary and hard for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, if it doesn't scare you, it's almost it it doesn't feel as sweet when you've achieved it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. overcoming your fear and doing yeah. the hard thing. Yeah. It's really what makes life interesting and and worth living. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And every day uh we were talking about this uh with my friends I do one little thing, not big, but I try to do one little thing that takes me out of my comfort zone and to just remind myself, see, I'm okay. And then it's easier to do the really, really big things, whatever they are. Yeah. And I think it's important to pay attention to that. Um, You know, like I said, we've all got these secret things that maybe we don't talk about to other people. You know, it it could be, you know, simple things, not big life changers, but maybe you've always wanted to learn how to dance the tango. You always wanted to, you know, learn how to um, be a French chef or whatever it is, you know, like there are things, (laughs) write a book. Oh my God, that's a big one, you know, and that's one that I achieved recently. It took me a long time to do that I held in my heart. You know, people didn't know I wanted to write a book and publish a book. Um, and I didn't even know what it was going to be about. And here we are. And now I have a book yep. and I'm writing other books. And, um, but it, but you have these little secret things. And if you don't ever recognize the time when the time is right to do it, mm-hmm. um, you're never, it's always going to be someday. It's yep. always going to be someday. Always. Well, Christine Herbert, I think my people will agree. You kept it real. But before we go, please. Tell them how they can reach you if they want to do body work and they're in your area or purchase your book. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I'm at the Still Spa in Kirkland, Washington. Absolutely come in for body work. Take care of you. Um, And my book is called The Color of the Elephant, Memoir of a Mizungu. Uh, It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, bookshop.org. You can order it through your local bookshop. Pretty much anywhere where books are sold, you can grab the copy of this. And if you are uh, on my website at christineherbertauthor.com, you could see events um, where you might be able to come and meet me and um, swap stories. And uh, I love meeting my fans. That would be really yeah. Please do. And if you want me to speak at your book club, if you want to choose this for a book club selection and you want me to zoom in, I don't care where in the world you are, I will zoom in um, to answer, you know, Q&As with you. Happy to do it. I love that. I love that. All right. My Let's Keep It Real people, you know that almost everyone will be inspired by this podcast. And Christine and I will really appreciate you sharing it, liking it, and rating it. Christine, thank you so much for sharing your journey. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been so much fun. All right. You know what I'm going to say. Until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.